you have your Bibles, open them with me to the Gospel of John. Picking up where we left off last week, we are in John chapter 6, and we'll begin in a moment in verse 48. John chapter 6, verses 48 through 59. I saw an article recently that was simply called Bread by the Numbers. And this article was full of fun and interesting details about bread. For example, 3,975, that's the length, that's how many feet was the longest loaf of bread ever made. 15,000, that's how many people they fed with that one loaf of bread. 1777, that was the year when they planted wheat in the United States for the first time. 1928, that's the year that Otto Rowetter invented the machine that slices bread. And 16, that's how many years it took him to make that machine that slices bread. 1,500, that's how many calories are in a typical loaf of bread. Uh, if you're from Mexico, you can double that. <laughs> 10, that's how many years a typical family of four can survive off of the wheat of a single acre. We look at all of these numbers, and then we come back to this number, the number one. There is one bread that is offered freely to every man, woman, boy, and girl. There's one bread that brings eternal life to everyone who receives it. One and only one bread that is called the bread of life. And that one bread is Jesus. In the beginning of John chapter 6, you recall that Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus their wives and their children. As we continue reading in John chapter 6, we discover that the reason why Jesus did that was so that he could teach them and so that he could teach us this lesson, that he is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements that are found only in the Gospel of John. Every one of these statements point back to Exodus chapter 3 where God revealed himself to Moses as the I am. And you'll notice that two times in this chapter, Jesus calls himself the bread of life. The first time in that passage, starting in verse 22, which we looked at a month ago, and he does it again. He goes back to this theme in the passage we're looking at this morning in verse 48. Jesus calls himself the bread of life because he wants to do for us spiritually what bread does for us physically. He wants to fill us. He wants to satisfy us. He wants to sustain us. Most of all, he wants to give us life. 
And so as we talk again about Jesus, the bread of life, there are a few things about this bread that Jesus tells us that I want to point out from our passage. First of all, we see that it is superior to earthly bread. It is superior to earthly bread. Look at verse 48. In fact, let's all say it together. I am the bread of life. And notice once again what Jesus did not say in this verse. He did not say, I give you bread of life, although sure, that would have been fine. But he said, I am the bread of life because he did not come to give us bread as much as he came to be bread for us. In other words, Jesus is not offering us some good thing apart from himself. No, what he is offering us is himself, which is so much better. Look at verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Now, let me just pause right here. Earlier in the chapter, the Jews basically said to Jesus, yeah, sure, Jesus, you did that thing and you miraculously fed 5,000 people one time, but you know, Moses, he fed millions of people for 40 years. He fed the manna in the wilderness. Why can't you do that? Well, Jesus reminded them it was not Moses who gave them that bread. It was God. But that manna was meant to be a picture of Christ. You see, that manna was sent from heaven. That manna was small. It was pure. It was sweet to the taste. That manna was freely given. It was freely received. That manna was supposed to point them to Jesus, but Jesus said there was one problem with that manna. Everyone who ate it died. And so it is with earthly bread. You can have a lifetime supply of bread, but it will not keep you alive forever. No matter how much bread you eat, you will die, and guess what? The more bread you eat, the sooner you will die. <laughs> well, notice what Jesus does. He uses this illustration of that earthly bread in order to make a point about him being the bread that comes from heaven. They ate the manna and died. But he said the one who eats this bread will not die. Two key words in that statement. The word eats, it's aorist tense. That means it's referring to a one-time thing that happens at a single point in time. Someone eats this bread. In other words, that moment they are saved, that moment they come to him and place their faith in him. And again, Jesus said the one who eats it will not die. And here he's talking about death in the complete sense of the word, not just physical death, which for the Christian is temporary. He's talking about 
eternal death and separation from God. That's real death. But he said, the one who eats this bread will not die. So you have two kinds of bread. You have the bread of earth, and you have Jesus, the bread from heaven. One is superior to the other. Jesus is making a point, and he's also asking a question. The question is, which one will it be? Everyone must choose. You can make earthly bread the highest priority of your life, or you can make spiritual bread the highest priority of your life. You can invest your life in what is temporary, or you can invest your life in what is eternal. You can pursue uh, the temporary thrills of this world, or you can seek first the kingdom of God, but everyone must make this decision at some point in life. Which one will it be? When we read this, we're reminded of what Jesus said in Mark 8, 36. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? That's a great question. We can take that question, and as we read John chapter 6, we can ask, what does it profit a man if he has a lifetime supply of earthly bread and he dies anyway? The answer is, it doesn't. So pursue the bread which came down from heaven. Pursue the bread of life. It's superior to earthly bread. We also see in this passage that it is necessary to receive this bread. It is necessary to receive this bread. Now go back to verse 51. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, as we read through the Gospels, there's something that we see every now and then. Every now and then, Jesus would teach a truth that could not be understood by the people in that moment, but it would be understood later on. This is one of those times when Jesus said, the bread that I shall give is my flesh. He's clearly talking about his own death on the cross. For them to have this bread, he is going to have to lay down his life. His flesh will be nailed to that cross. It's interesting, that word flesh actually appears seven times in this short passage. Jesus had to come in the flesh, and he had to suffer in the flesh. He had to die in his flesh. Why? To atone for the sins that we committed in our flesh. That's what it took. That's what it cost. It cost God nothing to give Israel manna in the wilderness. Oh, but it cost him greatly to send his only begotten son to die for us. And by the way, notice for whom this gift is given. Jesus said, which I shall give for the life of the world. Yes, this gift is for the world. This bread, this gift, this life is for 
everyone. And by the way, there's no way to read that statement without substitutionary atonement. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he was our substitute. He died for us. He took our place. But as we will see, it's not enough that Jesus died on the cross. We must receive him. Look at verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, when Jesus claimed to be the bread that came down from heaven, you recall last week, they got kind of upset about that. But when Jesus said to them, you must eat this bread that I give you. And by the way, this bread that you must eat is my flesh. Now they're starting to wonder if maybe Jesus is a little bit crazy. They're starting to wonder, who is this guy? Is he some kind of cannibal? Because I'm pretty sure that's not kosher. What is Jesus doing when he talks about this bread being his flesh, eating his flesh, I'll tell you what he's doing. He's using some very raw language in order to get their attention so that he can teach them a very important lesson. Now look at verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Again, in the Greek, amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Please understand, what Jesus is saying to them is so offensive. And one of the reasons why this is so offensive is because in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Deuteronomy, five times God prohibited the consumption of blood. And so when Jesus comes along and says, unless you eat my flesh and unless you drink my blood, you have no life in you. They don't know what to think about that. They don't know how to wrap their minds around that. What does that mean? Well, let me do this. Uh, let me ask you a question which I hope will make it uh, as simple as possible so that we can understand the point that Jesus is making. What does a person have to do with bread in order to receive its benefits? They have to... They have to eat it. I love Cuban bread. <laughs> They have to eat it. You receive it by eating it. And when you eat it, you receive its sustenance 
When you eat it, you receive its nutrients. You receive it by eating it. And likewise, you can have storehouses full of bread, but you will die of starvation if you do not eat it. In the same way, spiritually, you can have a house full of Bible verses hanging on the walls, and you can come to church every Sunday and sing all the songs and observe all the traditions, and go through all of the motions, but that will not save you if you do not receive Christ. Now, Jesus did not mean this literally. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But just because this is not literal does not mean that it is not real. What Jesus is talking about here is just as real as any meal you will ever sit down to eat. When you come to Christ and you say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I'm yours. In a very real sense, you are receiving him. And just as you receive the bread and it enters your body, you receive Christ and he comes and he lives your heart. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment, and I want to carefully do something that I hardly ever do when I preach. Those of you who've known me and heard me for a long time, you know that when I preach, I want to focus on what the text actually says, and I want to explain that. I don't like to spend a lot of time talking about what the text does not say, but I do want to pause for just a moment and point something out because there are a lot of people who believe in this doctrine, which we believe is a false doctrine, the doctrine of transubstantiation. You say, well, that's a big fancy word. What is that? Well, that is the belief that is held by our Catholic friends and neighbors that says that In the Lord's Supper, because they believe that that is what Jesus is talking about here, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, they believe that in the Lord's Supper, the bread is actually transformed into the literal body of Christ, and they believe that the wine is actually transformed into the literal blood of Christ, and when a person receives the Mass or the Eucharist, they are literally eating his body and literally drinking his blood. Now, I say this knowing that many of you perhaps grew up uh, in uh, that, that teaching. You learned that, and of course we have visitors here today. This is what you've been taught, and perhaps this is what you still believe. And so I just want to as lovingly as I can, tell you why I believe that doctrine is wrong and why I will actually suggest that that doctrine is dangerous. I want to point out, first of all, that the Gospel of John is the only gospel of the four that does not even mention communion. Did you know that? Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples But John, he mentions Jesus in the upper room. He skips the Lord's Supper completely, and he chooses to focus on Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. 
So it would certainly be strange if John is talking about communion when the gospel of John is the only one of the four gospels that does not even mention communion. I would also point out that the gospel of John is known for something. Jesus repeatedly in this gospel uses metaphors to describe salvation only for the people to misunderstand the metaphors. For example, Jesus said in John 2 that his body is a temple. He was not claiming to be a literal building. He told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus was not talking about physical birth. He offered the Samaritan woman living water, but he was talking about regeneration. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. He was not claiming to be a literal door. He was not claiming to be a barrier that opens and shuts. Jesus repeatedly used these metaphors about salvation that were misunderstood by his hearers because they took him literally when they were not supposed to. And that is exactly what we have in John chapter 6. Many point to the word indeed in verse 55. Jesus said that this is food indeed. This uh, uh, is my blood indeed. But that word indeed uh, simply means that which is true. It normally refers to someone giving their testimony, as in court. Someone goes to court and they testify, they tell the truth. That word indeed is never used in this way anywhere at all in the New Testament. I would also point out that if Jesus is talking about the Lord's Supper in John chapter 6, do you understand what that would mean? That would mean there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church, even for believers, because Jesus said, if you do not eat my flesh and if you do not drink my blood, you do not have life in you. These are all some of the reasons why I believe that that doctrine is wrong and why I believe humbly that we must reject it. But can I also tell you that I believe this doctrine is dangerous in part because it makes the sacrifice of Jesus an ongoing event. The suffering of Jesus is something that is thus continued every time the Mass is observed. But Romans 6.10 and Hebrews 7.27 says that when Jesus suffered and died for our sins, he died once and for all. This was a one-time thing that does not have to be repeated in any sense. Before he died, what did he say? It is finished. I believe this doctrine is dangerous because it turns the Lord's Supper into a work that we perform in order to earn our salvation. But Hebrews, or excuse me, Ephesians 2:8 says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I believe that this doctrine is dangerous, perhaps most of all, because it leads us to put our faith in a ritual instead of putting our faith in Christ. Listen to me very carefully. 
Salvation is not based on any ritual. Salvation is not based on baptism. Salvation is not based on confirmation. Salvation is not based on the Lord's Supper. Salvation is not based on any ceremony in any church. But I greatly fear that many people, and let me tell you, not just Catholics, but some Baptists as well, are guilty of putting their faith in a ritual instead of putting their faith in Christ. I realize I don't normally do this, and I've taken a good long detour this morning. I do this because this is not a small doctrinal difference. This is a big doctrinal difference, and yes, it matters what we believe. When Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he was using metaphorical language to stress the necessity of receiving him just like we receive bread when we eat it. And you can look at bread. You can hold bread in your hand. You can smell that bread. You can study bread. But that won't mean anything to you unless you eat it. And likewise, Jesus said, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. It's not enough to hear about him. It's not enough to learn about him or know things about him. It's not enough to admire him or to respect him. It's not enough for you to be touched by his tenderness. It's not enough for you to be impressed by his teachings. No, you must receive him. No one else can do that for you. You must eat this bread of life. You must come. You must believe. And that's the point Jesus is making. The necessity for you to receive this bread that he is offering you. It is superior to earthly bread, and it is necessary to receive this bread. But then one more thing that I want you to notice in this passage. There is life imparted by this bread. This is life-giving bread, folks. Look at verse 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus said when someone spiritually speaking, eats his flesh, drinks his blood. He said there are two things that happen. He said they abide in him, and he abides in them. That word abide means to live or to reside. When we come to Christ, there is a sense in which we reside in him. We are in Christ. But oh, that's not all. We dwell in Christ, but Christ begins to dwell and live in us. Look at verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of a Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Notice in verse 57, Jesus referred to his father as the living father. We saw 
In chapter 5, Jesus said that the Father has life in himself. And then what did he say next? He said, I live because of him. When Jesus came down, when the Word became flesh, he voluntarily took on limitations. One of those was the knowledge that every day upon this earth he would be completely dependent upon his Father, even for life. And then Jesus said, just, because I, just as I live because of the Father, he who feeds on me will live because of me. I depend upon my Father for life, and you're going to depend upon me for life. He's saying, my life will be in you. Now, what kind of life is Jesus talking about here? What kind of life is he going to give us? Well, did you know that in the Greek, there were actually three different words for life? I mean, in, in English, we just say life. And then you have to explain what kind of life you're talking about. But in Greek, no, they had three completely different words for life. They had the word bios, which refers to biological life. They had the word suke, which uh, could translate soul, but this refers to your mind, your emotions, your will. But then they had another word for life. And I wonder if anybody here happens to know what that other Greek word for life is. Is there anybody here that might have an idea? That word for life is what? Zoe. Anybody here named Zoe? Anybody here? Absolutely. All right. You know what? And, and we have one more, but I think she's with the children's worship. That's right. Zoe. You know what that word Zoe means? Zoe, this is the kind of life that flows from God. This is divine life that he possesses and he gives to us. And there's something I want you to notice about this kind of life that Jesus is talking about. And one of the things I fear is we've been studying this passage so slowly. I mean, we're taking a whole month just to look at a single conversation that Jesus had uh, on one day with the Jews. But I wonder if maybe we're studying this passage so slowly that we don't really feel the weight of it and we don't appreciate just how often Jesus keeps going back to this thing called life and what he repeatedly says about life. So let me just do this before I close. I just want to read to you just what Jesus said about life in this conversation that we've been studying here lately. Just listen to this. Feel the weight of all of this. Labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. The bread of God gives life to the world. Two times Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Verse 40 says, he who believes in him will have everlasting life. Verse 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He said, I am the living bread. If anyone eats, he will live forever. 
He said, I give my flesh for the life of the world. Unless you eat and drink, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The living Father sent me. I live because of the Father. He will live because of me. He who eats this bread will live forever. Anybody here keeping count? If so, that's 15 times in this passage. 15 times. Jesus talks about life and how to have life. And he's offering them life. And which word did he use for life every single time? What do you think? Zoe. He's offering them that Zoe life, that quality of life that flows from God. And six times he refers to this Zoe life as being everlasting life. You say, well, okay, what exactly is this Zoe kind of life all about? Well, listen to what the Bible says about it. Here's some of what the Bible says to describe it. Well, this Zoe life, it is inexpressible and glorious joy. It is peace that passes all understanding. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It's assurance, knowing that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is His presence, knowing that greater is He who is in us than He who is in this world. This life is forgiveness, and it's reconciliation, it's freedom. It's power, it's victory, it's living hope. It's all of this and so much more. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, this world around us does not have anything at all that comes close to comparing to this? There is no thrill. There is no high there is no drug. There is no bliss. There is no experience that the world offers us that comes even close to this kind of life in John chapter 6. This is what Christ is offering us today. And this is the life that we then get to take and offer to a world that is dying all around us. Would you join me for a moment as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for sending Jesus the bread of life, that he offers us that Zoe life, that quality of life that we cannot and will not find anywhere else but in Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We ask for you to forgive us of those times where perhaps we sought that life anywhere else. God, maybe there are some who are here this morning who today need to receive that bread and just as we receive earthly bread by eating it, we receive this bread of life 
through faith, by coming to Christ and calling upon Him as Lord. Maybe there's somebody here today, Lord, who is spiritually starving. And they've been looking to fill that hunger in all of the wrong places. But maybe today, God, they would be willing to say, Jesus, I come to you. I call upon you. I need you. I trust you. And I ask you to save me and be Lord of my life today. God, would you speak to hearts throughout this room if there's even one person who today needs to take that step of faith and who needs to receive this bread of life. God, how I pray that this would be, it really would be their day of salvation. And so, Father, speak to us all. Show us how to take everything that we've read and learned and and apply it to our lives. And we'll give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name.